Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another electrifying episode of Take It EV, the podcast that takes you on a journey into the world of electric vehicles. I'm your host, Greg, and we have a remarkable interview to share with you today. In this episode, we are diving into an exciting topic that is uh, shaping the future of electric mobility. We have a special guest joining us today. Please give a warm welcome to Justin, Managing Director at Swarco Smart Charging, a renowned name in the electric car charging industry. Justin will be taking us on a fascinating exploration of Dundee's Charging Hub and the thriving business of electric car charging. Uh, Dundee, located in Scotland, has become a prominent hub for electric vehicle enthusiasts and business alike. The uh, charging infrastructure in the city has witnessed incredible advancements, setting an example for uh, sustainable transportation solutions, a very an ins- inspiring one. So grab your headphones, sit back and get ready to be enlightened as we uncover the details behind the Dundee's impressive charging hub. We'll dive into the you know all the technology and all the stories behind the um, the hub itself. We begin the conversation with all the sort of soft questions about charging business and you know difficulties and uh, the beauties of the uh, the whole industry. So you're in for a treat. Justin was again very very generous with his time, so I, th- I would like to thank him. Just uh, so you know, this recording started as a. We were supposed to be talking about Dundee's hub and Dundee as a you know council and their investment in a in a charging infrastructure and and sustainability. However, for uh, technical reasons, we couldn't get the uh, anybody from Dundee to dial in. So we just uh, started chatting about Swarco. Um, so this episode is mostly us talking about Swarco, and we do talk about Dundee uh, towards the end. Um, but it's 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 a fascinating discussion. Before we start, though, I would like to thank today's sponsor, which is all my amazing patrons. You guys are awesome. Um, if you want to join their ranks, the links are in the doobly-doos down below. Just another housekeeping item. If you have any comments, any feedback, any questions, uh, suggestions, etc. Just uh, email me, takeitev at gmail.com is the best way to do that. I really, really enjoy hearing from you guys. And of course, if you're listening to this episode and this is your first time, subscribe. Look back at the uh, the previous catalogue of, of episodes. We've got some amazing things like Quentin Wilson, we have Jordan Brompton from My Energy, we have, uh, I have spoke to physicist Michael about uh, climate change and the science behind it it's a fascinating episode that doesn't require you to be science minded he speaks very clearly and and uh, reveals all the history behind it i was very very happy to uh, to chat to him too so without further ado let's jump right into the episode and discover the electrifying wonders of the dundee charging hub and the thriving electric car charging business with our fantastic guest justin So it's very, very exciting site that uh, I think it's just very different in terms of some of the sites we have deployed. There's just a few unique additional sort of features to the site itself. So you, men- you mentioned, you know, all the key metrics are 
are good and stuff, uh, Justin. But the uh, what are those key metrics? Just out of curiosity, how do you measure success? Uh, you know, in your business, I, I'm I'm always curious about these things. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, it's like other business, I suppose. It's all about the numbers. You know, <laughs> is the business growing? You know, according to our projected growth. Um, yes. Uh, is the business hitting our profitability targets and objectives there? Yes. Um, but then you look at all your other key performance indicators, like um, how the networks are performing out there to the driver community, um, the infrastructure that we maintain on behalf of um, the charge point owners. You know, are we performing to those expected? So operationally, you know, are we hitting those key metrics for our customers? And, and yeah. the simple answer is yes. So we're very excited about how we're performing, um, both from a business performance perspective, the numbers, but then also how we're performing uh, in the eyes of our customers. Yeah, uh, uh, th th that's the bit that I'm curious about is, you know, how does the uh, charge point operator or I don't know how you would, you know, uh, place yourself, um, but, you know, I would classify you as a ch charge point operator. I don't know if that's correct or not, but <laughs> you you tell me. But the, uh, you know, um, I, I spoke to so many uh, in in the past, and they all kind of do things differently and have different goals. Some some of them some of them you know just put the charging points and then operate them on behalf of a customer. Others you know just lease the land from somebody and put the point uh, and anything in in between. Um, and yeah, the, these days the, the the key the key marker when it comes to charging point uh, kind of. Um, uh, performance is you know how reliable are there and if there's enough of them to when people when there's a peak demand because nobody cares when they're sitting there you know in the morning on monday and nobody's using them or to um but when it's a whole a public holiday and everybody's queuing up you know um are the fast are the you know yeah greg i mean we, we've effectively that uh, we've got different types of ev businesses out there there's yeah. pure cpos so obviously with their own funding going out there and deploying their own charging network operating it etc some of them have those services in-house some of them subcontract some of those services um, but then you have others who are pure sort of equipment service selling onto customers who effectively own the infrastructure uh, and then you have companies like ourselves who do both um, okay. so effectively our, our businesses has been built up over the years since 2010 through uh, the one model, which is customer funded. So effectively, we refer to that as our core business today. So all of the infrastructure we've deployed out there up until now is effectively customer owned, not owned by Swaco. Okay. But we have been contracted to deliver the network and we continue to maintain that infrastructure on behalf of those charge point owners. Okay. Um, so, and then obviously you have CPO, which is more of our, that is our investments network where we launched it recently, three weeks ago, uh, Power and Go by Swaco, uh, Pogo for short. Uh, and that is where we will, that is where we will start to build our own, uh, sort of fully funded charging network. Um, so two very different, um, models that we have within uh, the business customer funded. And then we have our investments or CPO uh, business. So to us, all of our key metrics today out there in terms of how we are performing are based on infrastructure, not particularly owned by Swaco yet. 
Yeah. Yes. So, so you have different contractual arrangements. with. So if you look at all the infrastructure we've deployed out there, we've deployed over 10,000 charging stations over the past 12 years. Some of them are public, a big portion of them are public, and a big portion of those are privately accessible. So yeah. the public charging infrastructure, those will be the likes of some of the major uh, CPOs out there, for example, Motor Fuel Group, Osprey, a very big part of Osprey's network is equipment uh, from Swaco. Uh, we maintain okay. we maintain those networks, both of those networks, with our service engineer base. Um, the SSC, another CPO, we supply products, services, and we maintain uh, their infrastructure as well. And then there are a few other sort of CPOs, um, like the likes of BEV in Manchester, where we would have supplied... Uh, that product and we currently maintain it today with our service engineer base so so we look at our key metrics of effectively our core business and, and how we're performing it is those customers that we have to answer to uh, with respect to how we are performing against the the key performance indicators that they set for us. I mean, this is all upcoming stuff, you know, this is all growth market at the moment and things are not set in stone and people don't know how these things work, including myself. Absolutely. And I think, I think <laughs> it's probably one of the challenges that we have is that we've deployed a lot of infrastructure out there uh, over the 12 year period. Um, there is actually, it's it's actually fascinating to see the level of focus from the owners of that infrastructure. You know, some are absolutely key focuses, product in the ground, working at all times. Okay, and obviously your major CPOs, because it's their money and they take that very, very seriously. And, and ultimately, they have specific um, SLAs and KPIs with us where we have to perform to their expected level. But then you have other charge point owners, and some of these may be private businesses, not necessarily CPOs, um, or they may be local authorities, where actually there isn't the, the maintenance contract in place. It's come to the end of their term, and for some reason or other, they've decided not to continue with the ongoing maintenance because it's effectively a cost, and maybe they don't have yeah. budget for it. And then we have infrastructure out there um, that may not be in a maintenance contract or the customer has decided to switch it off. Um, so we have those challenges that it's got our badge on there. We're not servicing it for that reason, but ultimately if that unit is switched off or not working, yeah. then ultimately whoever's name's on the badge or even exactly. the, back <laughs> the back office gets yeah. really scrutinized for that. So we do take not only us, eh? So, so a lot of uh, oh, all the yeah, infrastructure yeah. suppliers do get targeted, um, probably unfairly, I'd say, in those situations where you have that um, no maintenance contract or the customers decided to turn it off because they can't continue to to operate it. Um, so that, I suppose those are the challenges that, that we have to deal with because actually it, it gives us, it can sort of give all the various different infrastructure suppliers that bad name if you've got a driver that's gone to that charger that really expects to charge their vehicle and they haven't been able to do that they don't yeah. know the detail behind the scenes they just know that that charger with that badge on it is underperforming and that's that is one of the challenges that we've seen in the sector it's a fair question when you turn up at the charger and it doesn't work um or it, you know it, it would be great if it just doesn't work like it's the power is off but the um you're expected to have an app uh, I, I know it's not true as much today, 
But in the past, you 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 had to go through the whole dance of actually downloading an app, putting your details, you know, signing off your mortgage, whatever. Like the the questions that you would be asked uh, um, when you sign up to those app apps is like your home address and your date of birth, things that you know a charge point operator should not really care about. So that's like the, the one of those questions that I get all the time is why do I have to go through all this stuff? Why can't I just give you the contactless and just get charged? Um, but the the other question that I always get is like, okay, the the charger is turned on, I can see it running. I sign up with the app, and the app tells me it cannot communicate with the charger, but I'm standing next to it, and the screen is on, and I can do things on this on the touch screen, like you know, like the, these are the sort of the frustrations that people have it's it will be it will be different when it's just like completely off uh and it's obvious that it's off but it's different to to what they people usually get like how do you how do you maintain that you know how do you ensure that the uh, uh that you know uh, i don't know how to describe it uh, uh from like an it perspective but like it's 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 not that the charger doesn't work it's it appears to be working but it's unreachable by the cpo like how do you address these sort of things there is a in order for sort of the, the the software solution to be speaking with the device itself, obviously there needs to be a strong um, there needs to be a strong SIM card connection to enable that sort of clear communication between the two devices. Um, so ultimately, if, if if a charge point has been installed in a location where the the SIM so the network is of very poor strength, then you will have challenges. I think what's really important as part of any survey that we carry out, um, so the site survey before you have infrastructure deployed, is that you're actually doing that test, you're doing a thorough test on to understand if there is a, a really strong signal strength at that charge point location. Yeah. And actually, we, we have uh, in the past turned down deploying infrastructure at sites where there isn't strong enough um, or we've put measures in place to improve the strength of the connectivity. So I think that's really important. The site survey process for us is crucial because it determines so much. It determines where power is going to come from. It determines if there's sufficient power, how much power you need to bring onto the site to business in power, uh, whether there's a strong signal strength there for your SIM card to have constant uh, connectivity with uh, the, between the charger and the back office. Um, yeah. So, really important. Um, so, yeah, I'm a strong believer of contactless uh, being a solution that, um, you know, is needed. I think predominantly on your DC charging infrastructure. Um, I think it's important. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of infrastructure deployed out there without any um, contactless on it. Um, so, okay, those charges potentially would need to be upgraded to include the contactless device. But easier yeah. said than done. You know, who's going to be paying for that? And what we have is some hosts just refuse to pay for that because it is a cost. Yeah. Uh, what's the return on that for some of those charge point owners? Um, yeah, and, and that always is the question for them, you know, with the budget constraints, et cetera, and the cost of actually upgrading a charger to include contactless. So those are some of the challenges that we have on, on making sure that there is contactless on some of the legacy equipment deployed out there. But most of the new DC infrastructure being deployed, if not all, uh, do include contactless now and have done probably for at least 12 to 24 months, certainly from our perspective. Okay. Uh, the, the, the other question that, I mean, I get loads of questions, but like the other question that I often get is, um, 
why don't you stop people from charging over, say, 80%? Pick your figure. But, you know, uh, quite often new owners will turn up in their whatever car that they just had for a week, uh, or they're, they're, on the, they're on the first excursion somewhere, and they just have to ha- do 100%, and there's a queue of cars waiting. And, you know, I mean... <laughs> I haven't been guilty of charging to 100% on a rapid charger, but I've sometimes had to charge 90% when I used to drive a Nissan Leaf, a 30 kilowatt hour Nissan Leaf. Obviously, you know, um, Nissan Leaf kind of charges quickly to about 92%, depending on the loads of things. Um, so I had I had people approaching me and giving me snarky, you know, questions like, "Do you know it's slower after?" <laughs> but I I do wonder if the uh, you know at some at some point as a charge point operator, uh, it's too slow for you to make any money uh you know with the guy charging the or, or lady charging there at like say 10 kilowatts and somebody else might might be plugging in and charging at 70 or 80 or whatever um you know so it might be might be useful to just give them a message saying sorry buddy but you know it looks like you're charging too slow um you know you're you're, you're sufficient you've got you've got sufficient charge next charger is blah 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 if you want to keep going, or, or I don't know, I, I don't know what is this, what is the solution? Like, uh, would you be able to speak to that? Or um... yes, I, I th- you know, I think it's important to realise that from eighty percent onwards, there is going to, naturally going to be that sort of slowdown. You know, you know, with a, a reduced power going into the vehicle, obviously because the vehicle is programmed that way to avoid it from overheating during the charging process. Yeah. So, um, you know, when that happens, we have different CPOs having a different view on that or taking a different position. You know, some, you know, choosing to completely switch off at 80 percent, you know, some allowing it to go to at least 90 and some all the way to the 100. These are quite big investments. You know, the, the cost into deploying infrastructure, certainly the higher powered rapids, is can be quite significant. And, you know, the operator would always be striving towards making sure that they see a, a, a reasonable return on investment. Yeah. So if, for example, you had a hub where, you know, 10 bays and, 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 and actually all 10 drivers, were, you know, decided to, to sit on the charger for another hour and a half, you know, whilst nobody else coming onto that site was able to charge because all those drivers wanted to get from 80% to 100%. That's not good for our industry. It's not good for the promotion of EV and the uptake of EV. It creates a negative uh, perception because uh, it creates frustration uh, for the driver. I think it's yeah. about finding that balance of, you know, 80%, you know, is a, is a good mark to, 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 to hit in terms of making sure drivers have really sufficient battery um, sort of top up to go out and, and make their journey. Uh, but also making sure that you're effectively accommodating those that actually want to get to a 90 or 100. It, it's, it's not an easy one to resolve. However, think as long as drivers need to realize is that there are big investments being made and obviously the cpos out there you know don't want to have their their um their drivers parked up for you know lengthy periods of time where hardly any energy has been delivered through that charging infrastructure yeah i i do wonder if it's just a perception you know it's one of those biases where you see something happening like this occasionally and you think everybody does it or whether actually it happens quite often i you know like some somebody should um come should share the numbers basically and say this is how many people actually charge over 80 percent i'm sure if it was a widespread problem 
I, uh, you know, you'll be doing much more media uh, 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 campaigning or even put stickers on the on the machines to say don't charge over eighty percent. Um, but be, I'm sure you don't have the numbers, you know, at your fingertip at the moment. But I'll be curious to find out what is the actual. Um, yeah, what with some the actual, of the bigger uh, wholesale kind of uh, CPOs, I mean, they'd have all the data to to um, uh, to provide. I think that, that there is a balance to be struck here from the CPOs. Is of, of course, return on investment is important, but customer service to the CPOs is also equally important. I think they'd be naturally trying to find that balance between making sure that you know they're protecting their their investment. But then, actually, they're they're making sure that their drivers receive a good quality service. Yeah. So, and that's the challenge for CPOs. Is you know, it's, it's sort of finding that middle ground between the two. And I personally think that our eighty percent top up is is where most drivers are are topping up and deciding, okay, well, I I, I need to be on the road again. I'm not prepared yeah. to wait another hour to or, or even more to get to hundred percent. And they yeah, just they, um, so you'll probably find there's a, there's a actually a smaller percentage of EV drivers actually waiting uh, to get all the way through to the hundred percent unless they've got a lot of time to kill. Yeah, uh, and yeah. Um, yeah, and you do we do see that we we do see that there are some drivers that have lots of time and they can wait. Uh, but I think there's a fair portion of drivers when they hit the eighty, uh, they've got things to do and and they move on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's good. Uh, if you if if you don't, I assume that if you don't, you haven't heard about this problem too much. It doesn't happen as much as people seem to think it does. So, uh, yeah, and I, think, I think I think whilst whilst we provide a service to the um, to some of the CPOs out there, and they're sort of valued customers of ours, so we do give them a lot of attention from a product supply, product reliability, and service perspective, as well as ongoing account management. But what we're not close to is the is the data um you know on those networks it's their data they protect it so actually sort of how many of their customers do charge to 80 percent and, and leave or how many of them actually charge all the way to 100 percent? they'll have that data we don't have that but actually whilst we start to build pogo uh we will start to see how drivers behave with respect to you know the 80 versus 100 uh stay time on the sites I live in Tunbridge, as you know. The um, we I think we do have a couple of Swarco chargers in Tunbridge Wells and Seven Oaks. Are these council-owned or because um, I think they're the taxi only? It says on it. Um, so that those that infrastructure will be owned by those respective local authorities. Okay. Uh, is is that how do you enforce that it's taxis only? Because I think it's just a contactless payment. Uh, terminal as far as i could tell i, I don't think why well, i never had the need to use it because obviously i'm like 10 miles away <laughs> but uh but i do see uh, sometimes private cars plugging in and I, I don't know how successful they are but you know um are, are they just can anybody just use them or, are, or do you need to like apply to a council and be a taxi driver to actually use it yeah so how they are they were deployed as part of the ultra low emission vehicle taxi scheme uh we're seeing obviously you know, driving the uptake and supporting with the the uptake of EVs. You know, some of the local authorities within Kent have also recognised that actually we need to be opening it up to to other drivers. So we are seeing some of the local authorities say, okay, well, you know, we've tried the the taxi only. Okay, there's some utilisation there. You know, let's start to open it up. So in terms of Tunbridge specifically, I'm not sure as to what decision they've made on that. We actually are starting to see it open up, and some of them are opening it up for specific times. 
Um, okay. So actually open to the public specific times and then, you know, sort of taxi operating times, whatever that may be, I'm not sure. Um, but Friday night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, so, so for, for their use only. So we're just seeing, I mean, what's key is that from a, from a software hardware functionality perspective, we can accommodate those rather unique requests. So, okay. yeah, and that, that's, that's obviously we, we do offer uh, that, that unique sort of kind of access uh, functionality, which, which helps them to be able to, you know, allow everyone to charge at certain times, but then restrict it at others. Okay. And, and the, because uh, I, I know, I know companies like Osprey, that you mentioned, I know that the um, I don't know about Inst this, you know, uh, Instavolt and a couple of others. I know the Os Osprey specifically is kind of prepared to, if 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 you give them a site, they're prepared just to put in the the charging point for their own money and kind of operate it. And they probably chose like likes of yourself to you know to uh, to put some of them in. But do you di do you, do you take a uh, uh, request for like that from councils or private? Uh, landowners as well or um would you direct them to to likes of osprey somebody yeah i think i think that we have we have in the past directed to some of our cpa partners you know sometimes those projects are a fit others they're not a fit for them um you know in some occasions we have match funded so we've match funded a say 25 percent of total project costs we've done that in the past uh, where we think it suits us uh, but then obviously we have a the, the separate business, which is our POGO business. Our, our POGO business is they're identifying sort of fully funded uh, opportunities. Of course, some of them will be local authorities, but actually most of those, that activity will be private sector focused. Um, but yeah, of course, there will be some local authority activity there. So I think, um, yeah, whilst we have strategic CPO partners, you know, we'll continue to share investment opportunities with them if we feel that um, the investment itself is more applicable to their strategy. If, if we see an investment opportunity that's applicable to our strategy, then of course we will uh, look to uh, fund it ourselves. So we, we just take each project case by case basis. Okay. I have all sorts of, all sorts of uh, like business-related questions, but I don't want to bore you with, with that too much because I I don't want to overstep, you know. Um, but like I, I often get get asked, you know, how long does it take? What is the return on investment on the on the site? And I, I, you know, when I spoke to somebody from Osprey last time, a couple of years ago, they said it costs about fifty k to, uh, you know, on average to put two chargers in. I presume that that will take a while to uh, to recover. It's a very long-term inv investment to put to put in even two chargers. Uh, obviously, you know, with somebody like council or or local authority, they might have different goals, right? They just want to enable the infrastructure so that people buy electric cars and kind of switch over to electric to electric uh, or sustainable transportation. Um, but with private landowners, obviously, they've got you know, they might have another. I don't know. They might have a coffee shop or 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 supermarket nearby. That's a, that's another obviously uh, thing. But like purely just from having having a, a charge point, what, what do you reckon is the uh, the return on investment? Like, uh, can you speak to that, or is that is that an unknown? It, it is well. It's an unknown because you know what is the quality of the site. 
So, and how much investment are you putting in? So, if it's a local authority, is it 25%, 50%, is it 75%, or is it 100%? We've seen yeah. all those various different models exist. Um, are you fully funding it? If so, what does that return look like? A key requirement to understand when deciding whether to invest or not is the length of term. So local authorities looking for a big investment with a five-year contract term doesn't make sense, certainly for us. And I doubt it'll make sense for the other CPOs out there because you're not going to see a return on investment unless the site is incredible in terms of quality. <laughs> I mean, yeah. so, um, yeah, and of course, you have different return, of in, return on investment projects, you know, ranging from, you know, sort of could be four years all the way up to 12 years. It all depends on the type of infrastructure you've, de you've deployed, um, how many units, what the respective total project cost de or deployment cost is, um, and what the utilization is. So there's a number of factors that actually decide, you know, how quickly you're going to see a return on investment. Um, so it's a very, it's a very broad sort of, you know, sort of area in terms of the, the return on investment, yeah. depending on all of those factors. So I couldn't give you a specific date, uh, sorry, a specific Number. timing, but you, you've okay. got a banding and it's, you know, sort of extremely impressive level all the way through to, you know, not impressive and, and lengthy. So, I mean, yeah, I've been, I've been to sites, Swarco specifically inst uh, branded uh, chargers. I don't know who owns them or what the arrangement is. Obviously, as a user, you know you don't care. You just want to plug in. And but I always make, I always make sure that when I go to a restaurant, a pub, or whatever it is that has a charger up out of the door, I always tell them, look, I stopped here because you have a charger. I would have otherwise gone somewhere else, probably. Who knows? Um, but you know, you've got a charger. I can eat my lunch, dinner, whatever, in half an hour, 45 minutes and charge. Um, and I, 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 I always kind of tell people that just make sure that you'd kind of tell the operators or the, the owners of the land that you're here because the charger, uh, you know, so they can put in more potentially. <laughs> um, but the, because, um, uh, you know, we were supposed to be talking about hubs and stuff. Um, and, you know, small sites is one thing where you're stopping for dinner when you're on the way somewhere. There's usually just one or two chargers, which is sometimes not enough these days. On the other end of the spectrum, that's what I was about to say, um, you have places like GridServe, you know, where they have 20 plus chargers. Um, where do you think the sweet spot li lies and what, what, do you, what do you think is the future? Because personally, I have to say that, you know, I, I like this, the, the sites like the GridServe where you, you can stop... Uh, for longer, I wish they had restaurants on site. That's one thing that they don't have. Um, but they have plenty of shops and you know things to do, entertainment, meeting rooms, whatever. Um, where do you think the, the 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 future lies with these things? Well, I think it's you know finding that sweet spot. Uh, and yeah, if you look at some of the operators, they've gone with more of a cautious approach. Uh, maybe very much based on whether they have sufficient investment to go sort of large scale initially, and they're just trying to sort of balance out the investment they have to deploy. That may play a role, not sure. Um, but then obviously you've got that kind of sort of, you know, five to 10 base um, for a hub, uh, which is sort of in the middle of, of between the sort of lower end and possibly the grid serve end. And then you've got the grid serve. And I, and I think they're not the only ones doing that. Uh, and I think it, it is quite impressive when you see 
the infrastructure that they're deploying on these sites. I think it sends a really strong message uh, that this sector is certainly the future. I think it, it plays a positive role on the uptake of electric vehicles, which is really what we are looking to encourage and support. So, no, I think um, uh, no way is the wrong way, I suppose. You know, just providing infrastructure, um, whatever the quantity, I think the site plays a crucial role. Um, so if you do have a, a site where there's amenities, good quality, sort of whether they sort of shops and places to eat and, and toilets and et cetera, uh, good lighting, you know, and it's potentially a really good hub site, you know, deploying, you know, 10 to 20 bays, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a big investment. It's a big commitment early on. And I think it, um, I think it is positive to see that the scale being deployed. I think the reality is, is probably today, again, very much depends on what type of site. If you've got motorway sites, motorway service station sites, then I think they're going to be incredibly busy, you know, up to 20 bays. We've seen that at some of the, the motorway locations. Um, but you're going to have other sites like maybe shopping facilities, retail parks, you know, sort of a five to 10 bay provision today, ultra rapid. Yeah, I think it's I think it's good enough today. Um, yeah. But obviously, you know, you'll probably be expanding that network within the next, say, you know, three to five years, gradually, um, maybe sooner. Um, so, no, I think uh, there's no sort of wrong approach. Um, like I say, every approach works for a specific location. Yeah, I I I personally see that the uh, the future is is you know having a large site with twenty chargers and um, if you think about it, 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 even if the cars are going to charge in the future, say f in fifteen minutes or twenty minutes, um, uh, and you're going to have I don't know four hundred mile range, you're still going to have to stop to have a you know just to go to the toilet or or just to have a lunch, um, and you're gonna, you're going to want to spend that time doing something rather than just sitting in a car and you know uh, scrolling on your phone um and and if you if you think about the uh, the petrol station model where you know they make money actually in the shop rather than selling you the fuel um the, uh, when you when you have to sit there for 20 minutes you're going to spend more money potentially uh you know so there's a the 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 uh, the chances of 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 monetizing it and actually making money are higher, and you can have different type of shop. You 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 no longer just have a convenience store, but you can have a actual proper you know whatever 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 type of store you want. Uh, um, the other the other thing that is often often missing is you know is a space just to sit down and relax um, at, at, the, at those service stations. Um, but um, yeah, uh, I, yeah, because I'm I'm always curious. Like obviously the the other thing. That is restricting at the moment is probably the uh, the grid connectivity, but I'm sure people at national tra national um, grid. I mean, I, I know in fact that they they they've been working on it. <laughs> um, what I think, what do you think are the challenges? Like apart from the uh, the, the grid connectivity, um, uh, to, to in expanding the network, because I think we're hitting the point where you know the uh, the adoption curve is kind of. Uh, Almost exceeding the, the 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 number of charging points that are currently provisioned. I'm sure there's plenty in the works, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> but but I I see quite often when I uh, when I travel at like high peak times that the, the, there is a queue on site, um, 
And I, I wonder, you know, I'm sure you guys see that as well. What do you think is the solution there? Like, is it more charging points? Is it better signage or, you know, um, discoverability, basically? Or or do we just need to have more charges within a certain area? I think yeah. it's, it's from, from a positive perspective, there's a lot of infrastructure being deployed. There's a lot that's being developed, planned behind the scenes that the driver won't be particularly aware of. All the CPOs have committed to making some really big investments into expanding their respective networks. So what we are going to see over the next 6, 12, 24 months and, and sort of you know through to the next three, five years is quite significant deployment of charging infrastructure. I think as a, as a driver, where, you, where you're not sort of close to the detail day to day in terms of you know what 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 conversations are having with respect to infrastructure deployment, there's a lot going on there. It's very active. Uh, there's some there's some big investors that have come in with with genuine money to deploy. So I think that we are going to see quite a significant expansion of the network, public network. Um, if we look at the challenges, one of the the very big challenges, and still today is, is power. Uh, going back to the point that you've mentioned there. Um, so that's the power availability, one thing, uh, but then also the cost of power. So the more infrastructure you deploy on a single site, the greater the cost. Uh, and actually the costs go up quite significantly. So as a CPO, you need to be really prepared, you know, to make a really, in some cases, make a, make a substantial investment into a site um if you plan to deploy a lot of infrastructure on that site because that that will come with some pretty hefty costs so that is still the challenge and the bottleneck with re with regards to deployment of infrastructure if all the power is there and we were coming along and just sort of you know dropping charges in the ground and plugging in we'd see double the size of the network that we see today yeah you know Hi. so but that's not the case and it is a challenge. Um, I think the DNOs and are, are working a lot more cooperatively uh, with the various CPOs. Uh, we now have IDNOs and ICPs, and they all play their part in making sure that actually we're delivering infrastructure quicker. Okay. Um, but it still remains the, the bottleneck. Because you'd be surprised how many sites CPOs actually walk away from because the costs are too extortionate. Um, so... Yeah, I think yeah, that, that's probably the main challenge. I think uh, there is has been a, 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 a challenge within the industry with respect to the availability of finished goods product, so charging equipment, charging stations, um, because of the global supply chain constraints uh, through some of the sort of key components that are used um, uh, to to building, you know, DC charging infrastructure. Um, that has had a negative impact on the supply from the major technology manufacturers uh, through to the CPOs. Uh, and um, and that, that, that has played a role in, in slowing down the deployment of infrastructure, but not as nearly as much as the, the, the power-related concern. Okay. Okay. Um, on... on I think the uh, the global chip shortage, which you know, I think it's coming to an end. Like the the ma major manufacturers like ST and and uh, and others have you know ramped up their production again and kind of get the stock back um, currently. So uh, I hope I hope this is going to be the the tail end of of that uh, the, of that uh, complaint. Um, 
But you can do things to mitigate it, Greg. So as a business, uh, because we swap part of Swaco, which is a, a, a large sort of corporate global group, you know, they have really backed us um, by sort of enabling us to, to, to hold quite significant levels of finished goods stock uh, in our warehouse in, in Hamel Hempstead. And so we will have anywhere between 80 to 100, 150 kilowatt units plus in stock at any point in time, you know, which is great because we have customers that come to us and they need, you know, sort of urgent need of our product. And we're able to very quickly accommodate those requests. Um, yeah, that's, so that's ultimately, it, it has a negative impact on, on cash flow, of course. And so the yeah. networking capital. Um, is uh, you know falls through the floor to a degree in terms of you know the actual versus target, but ultimately the business is very supportive of us in this in this growth sector, uh, growth business, and um, you know the need to 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 rapidly be able to support our, our customer needs from a product supply perspective. So and then on, on our AC equipment, we hold anywhere between three hundred and five hundred AC posts in stock as well. So that if you take all of that cost into consideration, I can assure you it's a, it's a sizable value uh, that we, we hold here in the UK so that we can you know, effectively support the, the needs from our customers. Speaking of hardware, um, one of the things that people often, often see, um, and I think I know the answer to that question, but I'm, I'm curious anyway. We've seen this when some operators, they put in a charging point or two charging points and it works fine for a year. And then after a year, it just becomes, you know, the screen is broken or, you know, the colors are off on it or, I don't know, the cable is wonky and pins fall out, whatever. You know, it's it's no longer usable um, and nothing happens to it. And I presume it's because nobody is paying to maintain it. Um, but um, quite often, at least in the early days of, of EV driving, I've heard that uh, the, 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 the charging points just don't last more than a year or two and they have to be either swapped entirely, which costs loads of money, or the maintenance is, is just too expensive. Um, are, are these sort of things improving? I mean, I, you know, if, if I think about charging operators like Osprey, I, I, I don't think I've ever seen their charger after a year or two falling apart. But there's been other charge operators like uh, Polar or... or um, uh, what is the network that they... They, they bought another network uh, ages ago... Um, charge your car, I think it was called, or something like that. Uh, um, and, you know, those sides are just falling apart, just rusting and, and just, just unusable. Um, do, do, do you think the, the, the charging point manufacturers are improving those things? Or do you think it's just because we don't have any... Uh, in the UK, we don't have uh, many sites with uh, uh, canopies or, uh, you know... The charging points are just open, basically, up to elements and not shielded any, in any way. What is the... What can you talk about in that sort of regard? See what what we what we what I can say is is where we see a charge point operator owning the infrastructure. So if you likes of Motor Fuel Group, Osprey, Instavolt, you know some of those pure pure CPOs, and there's a few others, of course. Um, you, you know, obviously, um, sort of BP will also own their infrastructure. Um, th there is there is a, a very very high degree of focus in making sure the infrastructure is well maintained. Grid serve another. So because it's their investment, and they ultimately 
need to ensure that the infrastructure is working at all times so that the utilization is there and the drivers have a really good satisfaction um, or customer experience. So, and I think this, the challenge for the industry, the challenge for the likes of even ourselves, Swaco, and the challenge for those that have possibly been around a lot longer than the others. You know, we, we, you know, sort of Charge Master, Podpoint, Swaco, you know, we've been around for 12 years. You know, the, 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 the sort of emergence of CPOs is probably sort of four or five years. So there's a, the early stages they went around. So actually a lot of legacy equipment was installed in those early days. You know, even yeah. the old plugged in places program, some of that infrastructure is still installed. But it wasn't particularly, it's not owned by any of the names. It's not owned by Swaco. It's not owned by BP. It's not owned by Podpoint. So the good fair portion of their estates isn't owned by them or us. But ultimately, it's owned by a, either a local authority or a private business that has chosen not to continue to, to have it maintained. So there's only, and it goes back to the points I, made, I mentioned earlier, is that if your product has a badge on it, yeah, yeah to the driver, you're the CPO. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Straight away. But, but actually, you, you, there's a huge portion. In fact, the whole of the, 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 the eConnect network today is owned by hosts. So it's owned by hosts that have different... Um, expectations with respect to how their infrastructure should be working uh, or whether they can actually fund it. So I think the challenge that we have is that there is a lot of infrastructure out there that may, may not be in a maintenance contract because of those reasons. But ultimately, it has our badge on it. So as a driver, you're rocking up and you really peed off because you know, that charger that has got Swaco on it is, is out of service. And you're automatically going to be very frustrated with Swaco or with eConnect. But it doesn't necessarily mean that Swaco or eConnect have the role to play in making sure that that equipment is in service all the time. We do if we contract to. So if the customer yeah. contracts to make sure that we're achieving specific SLAs, absolutely, we will give it all its focus. But if it's old legacy equipment where the customers decided to maintain it themselves, or to not maintain it at all. It's, we can't control the performance of that charger. But to the driver, it's that operator that they become frustrated with. Yeah, I mean, I mean it, it almost feels like, the, I mean, the questions that I'm going to hear from people or getting emails or tweet, tweets from is basically like, why doesn't anybody take all of this under one roof and just kind of deliver end to end? Um, I know Polar was trying to, you know, they even started developing their own chargers, and that with the the billions that they have uh, back backing them, they're still failing at it. Which I I personally don't know how that happens, you know. Um, but um, I'm not going to comment on that because uh, I I don't know. But the um, uh, do, do you think do you think one you know one day this is going to be a bit more uh, uh, integrated, but end to end? Because it boggles my mind that somebody wants to have a a charger on this on their site that doesn't work or isn't maintained. Like that seems you know. All, all, all shades of wrong, uh, and I, I get I get that uh, budgetary constraints might be one thing, but um, uh, like I say, you know, um, if somebody rocks up to that charger and it doesn't work, uh, they're gonna either drive off somewhere else, so they're not gonna probably take your business if you're a, an owner of a pub or whatever, 
or they're gonna swear at Swarco or or the you know whatever the name is on the charger. So it, it's no good for anybody uh, that happens. Um, do do you think do you think the uh, the 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 charger quality itself, you know, uh, whatever the metrics that uh, uh, that the hardware providers have, do you think that's going to improve as well, so that the chargers don't have to be maintained all the time and they're a bit more uh, weather resistant or whatever, um, you know? Do you think there's still a lot of work in there, or, or like, w- w- what do you think is going to happen with that? Yeah, no, I, I think that um, uh, charging infrastructure. Uh, we have different types, right? Different types of infrastructure and different performance levels. You need to sort of appreciate that it that it's used by the public. Um, electricity, so you, you, you're plugging in two ends, you know. So there's wear and tear there, and the more the more you sort of plug in and out. I mean, there's little pins, you know. Somebody might be, um, you know, trying to jam it in from the side without really sort of taking care to put it nice and straight, and it bends the pins, and you don't realise that the next driver comes along and says the charger's not working. Meantime, the, the pins buckle inside the, the device itself. Um, you have um, I think that driver behavior generally, just in terms of how to take care of connectors, sort of taking them out, putting them back into the holster, I think is all important. So drivers have a role to play as well, just making sure that the device is being well looked after. Um, So just going back to my point in terms of it, it is a device that delivers power. And some of it delivers, some of the equipment out there delivers incredibly high power. Um, and you can imagine all these components within this machine that actually uh, are, are delivering and have a role to play in delivering quite considerable levels of power, high power, but actually some of them quite consistently through the utilization throughout the day. So you naturally are always going to have, you know, certain components that may, um, from time to time, not frequently. Um, but it will happen where a device will go down or something will happen within the charger that requires a service engineer visit. So I think that what I can say is that the that the four technology suppliers that we work with have heavily invested into testing facilities uh, within their uh, production departments, um, as well as their quality management sort of equipment and solutions to really sort of make sure that infrastructure before it is shipped um, to the market is is thoroughly tested. So I can see quality improving. Quality has improved quite significantly across a lot of the different products out there. But we've seen those improvements because of the investments that the manufacturers have actually made. And this year, I've been to four of our technology partner manufacturing facilities, and it's incredibly impressive. You know, I visit them probably every six months, uh, and every six months I go there, there, there is there is a transformation of the manufacturing facility in such short periods of time. So as a driver, you won't necessarily realize that, but the the manufacturers of the charging equipment are making some pretty significant investments into their manufacturing facilities, but also their quality uh, control uh, solutions and laboratories and climatic chambers and, and all sorts of very, very expensive facilities and equipment to ensure that the quality of their product is good in the marketplace. So 
I think it's important that you you, you recognise that. I suppose, in terms of they're not sitting back and pushing boxes, you know, out their warehouse, and they are genuinely making big investments to improve on efficiency within their production lines, but also quality. That's good to hear because uh, I mean I I do remember um, the old Ecotricity chargers. I can't remember the. It's a French manufacturer. Uh, I can't remember what they're called, but they they were kind of in, infamous for the uh, the failure rates. <laughs> uh, and yeah, like I say, I think things have improved since then. But you know, you, you know what it's like when you when you have new, especially new EV owners, they just expect that ev- everything's going to be fine when they just rock up to the charger, no failures, and it's just going to work. You know, hundred percent. Very true. Um, we 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 apply a lot of pressure, Greg, on our technology suppliers. We've got good relationships with them. Uh, but we do put quite a lot of pressure. We have high expectations for quality. Um, so obviously the pressure that they have from the market, their distributors, actually forces them to make those big investments um, to ensure that they're giving us the quality. But then what can we do? So we, Swaco is a business of, so the, the EV business, Swaco Smart Charging, we have 145 staff. 145. We're currently employing another 30 staff as we speak, just to support with growth um, and a sort of higher volume of activity across the business. So we've got quite a sizable EV infrastructure team in place. Um, But a big part of that team is our service engineer base. So we have uh, 32 service engineers that are strategically positioned throughout the country, Scotland, England, and Wales. These are 100% EVs that they're all driving, branded Swaco. So when we're on site, we're able to get on site quickly because we've got a good, strong service engineer team in place. We're able to test with an electric vehicle before we leave the site to ensure the charger is, is, is working and has been properly fixed. Um, so those are quite big investments from our business. Um, we're actually very proud to... to, to um, to uh, mention that we've only recently hit net zero. So we've achieved a net zero fleet across the, the smart charging business, which is quite a, quite a significant milestone for, for us. Um, so actually all of our staff now are through uh, the fleet are driving electric cars, you know, which, is, which is a really great, strong uh, message. But of course, that comes with big investment from us. But uh, it's been a real commitment from us for a number of years now to get to that point. But really, I suppose the message from my side is is that from a from a Swaco perspective, um, we are making some pretty sizable investments into the operational side of our business um, to make sure, and that's service engineers, call center staff. So we now have forty three call center staff uh, based in in Dundee servicing our drivers day-to-day. But more recently, in October last year, we set up a second-line technical support team, uh, which is a team consisting of about eight staff that remotely monitor uh, our networks. All of our charging infrastructure is remotely monitored uh, 24-7. They uh, proactively monitor the network throughout the day, so 24-7. And that has had quite a significant impact on uh, the network's performance, because actually this team is constantly looking at the network, uh, and as soon as you know, infrastructure sort of goes green, uh, sorry, goes red, okay, there's something wrong. They dial into it very quickly, 
and we're able to remotely diagnose on most occasions. And we implemented that in October last year, and we've seen some pretty significant uh, results from uh, that that team we put in place. So these are these are investments that certainly Swaco have made, but I have no doubt that other infrastructure suppliers are, are also making similar investments into making sure that uh, product quality um, and network reliability is there for drivers as well as the charge point owners. Okay. Do you, do you think there's still a lot that needs to be done from like the um, legislative perspective? Uh, I, I know the, uh, you know, we, we spoke about the fact that there's no can- canopies on, on chargers quite often. And I know like the uh, uh, um, Kate from uh, Charge Safe uh, is one of the people who kind of, you know, um, talks about accessibility, but also safety. Um, and that kind of ties in with having a canopy, having a good light, so you feel safe when you turn up to, uh, you know, to, to a charger. I'm, you know, I'm a middle-aged white bloke, but the, uh, I've, uh, I've, 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 feel, I've felt in the past like I'm not safe at a site, you know, <laughs> that I, I, I'm going to have to run if somebody is attacking me here. Um, but um, does, do you think that's, that changes, and also signage and things like that, like discoverability? Is it still the case that if you have a canopy on site or you want to install the canopy, you need to have a... a, a Different kind of uh, permission, basically, to to build the site. Of course, you've got you've got to go through planning permission uh, because of the, the the heart of the canopy itself. Okay. Um, uh, I think it's going to be used for some applications. Some CPOs are using it today and will continue to do so. Uh, from a Swaco perspective, it's it's technology that we've deployed uh, for a number of our uh, charge point hosts: um, Dundee, one of them, uh, Ayrshire. Um, down in sort of Wales and a number of other parts of England as well. So, um, I, you know, will it be sort of the, the the solution deployed moving forward? I think for some applications it will, but it does come at quite a big cost. Yeah. And, you know, obviously the CPOs will need to be factoring in that cost into their modeling to see if actually it, it makes sense from an investment perspective. I think it, if we, there's a big focus on making sure that, of course, return on investment is 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 considered as a right up there. But also the the experience of the electric vehicle driver, the customer experience. So I think as this market develops, if we see that canopies are positively seen by EV drivers, uh, and it actually positively impacts the the driver experience, then you may very well see CPOs start to deploy it more consistently across the infrastructure the future set of infrastructure growth plans. Yeah, I, I think it would greatly help, but, you know, uh, that's just uh, my my, my uh, personal point of view. Uh, for sure. What, what I think, think lighting is really important. I think uh, signage is, is very important, a very clear signage. Um, and it's signage also to, to, to warn off um, fossil fuel vehicles parking in EV bays. Yeah. You know, the, the, the term icing might be familiar to you. Um, so I think that's that's really important in terms of clear signage, the bay marking, the lighting, uh, all of those are, are you know are really important to making sure that uh, you know as a driver you feel safe and you feel attracted to going and using that site because it has all of those sort of uh, in place. Yeah, I mean um, back in the early days of me driving cars, I I would quite often wind up in a in a place where you know there was a big car park and i knew that the darkest corner 
closer to buildings is going to be where the charger is. It's just like, you know, it just I just developed that sixth sense and I didn't quite like that um feeling but you know, that was that was the truth. I mean, things have improved certainly. Uh you're right, you're right that the um um the, I don't know what happened to them, but the, there was a, a a charge point operator at some point called Alpha Chargers. Uh, spelled alpha with ph um or no there was with f sorry um uh i don't know what happened to them i haven't seen them around in, in ages but the uh their sites they're opening cameras as, as a default on all their sites monitoring the charger uh basically to kind of uh, uh, uh you know get rid of the the icing i should say and or, or people parking and not plugging in um i wonder if that if that will ever happen uh I mean, going back to, to signage, one of the other things that I think um, people often ask me is like, why isn't there a, there a sign saying this charger doesn't work or it's busy? You know, when you're driving along the motorway or or a, a, a road before you turn into the charger, you know, you, why isn't there a charger saying, actually, we're full, you know, at the moment, go away? Uh, or... Or you know the next charger is in ten minutes this way, like you know just just simple signage like that. And I, I I don't I don't see private charging uh, 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 charging point operators putting that in. But I think that's one of those things that um, I think will have to be kind of coming down from the legislative. Uh, I agree. Side of things. There, uh, there's there's nothing worse than arriving at a at a at a hub and all the bays are busy, but you yeah. have no idea. How long it's going to take before one becomes empty? Yeah, and where the the, the other charges are, because there might be one around the corner for all you know, right? <laughs> I suppose it, it, there's nothing worse when you're in a rush and you really yes. need to understand that. If you've got lots of time, it's very different. So I've been in that position where I'm in a rush, but I've got no idea as to how long everyone's going to take there. So um, we we are a traffic business. So Swaco is a, a a large global traffic technology company. So a lot of the sort of motorway signage here in the UK is manufactured by us. So the variable speeds over the gantries, uh, and then okay. also the, the large sort of signs that give you certain warnings ahead are also manufactured by us, and a number of other different traffic technology solutions. Um, we absolutely see the need for some form of you know digital signage uh, giving you a, a clear indication on the status of each of those parking bays in terms of you know time left before charge ends um, so that is visible to drivers coming on and actually seeing that oh, okay charger number two is going to be done in two minutes i'll hang around you know so i think that those technologies will form part of the ev infrastructure uh, uh moving forward <clears throat> okay some That's stage the, there, there yeah. are discussions and and sort of there's a lot of innovation happening behind the scenes um and and certainly we are we are looking at, at developing our traffic solutions into our ev infrastructure um network and solutions and and the sort of end result of that will be technologies like this that will be very kind of good display uh status display screens to ev drivers coming onto yeah. the sites yeah, I, I, yeah, because it's one thing that um, you know when you drive. I, I don't have a Tesla personally, but like whenever I drive a Tesla, it knows where the Tesla chargers are and how many are occupied and all that. It's quite useful, but I don't see that ever happening on the global scale. You know, with the way the OEMs work with the software, they're not the best usually at software or integrating other services. Um, but just a simple sign on the motorway saying, you know, 
there's you know three out of ten bays are occupied. Uh, like it's it's it doesn't take a genius to to, to put that in. Uh, like I say, and, and you know it would be great to um, to see since you guys are manufacturing the char- uh, the uh, the um, the signs themselves already. I think that would be a good uh, good thing because I I hear that from people all the time is like i wish i knew or you know oh oh blimey i have to download another app to find out where the next charger is like it's just it's just all these simple things that i think um if i can you know suggest that as an improvement i think that uh, that's a that's a big thing so so so, so speaking of dundee i've heard that they have a um i mean they're obviously in Scotland, so the charge points, uh, charge place, Scotland. Sorry, takes part in it. But the, um, uh, I was told that there's a new hub coming up in in Dundee. Can you talk about that? Uh, yeah, sure. So, so the uh, Cleppington Road hub is is the biggest hub we've deployed um, uh, in in Scotland. Um, so Dundee have a number of different hubs where you have uh, solar solar carport solutions. And you've got energy storage at some of their hubs. Um, but this one specifically was rather unique. Um, so effectively, uh, it's a 30, 30 charging station deployment uh, with 60 bays. So effectively, 60 vehicles can charge simultaneously on the site. Uh, there are two different sides to the hub. So we have a, a publicly accessible side of the hub, but then we have the, the council fleet. So on the public side, we have five 50 kilowatt rapid chargers. We have one 150 kilowatt ultra rapid charger. Um, and then on the fleet side, we've got 100 kilowatt charging solution. And we have two 50 kilowatt units. And then we have some overnight charging there. So we have 21 seven kilowatt uh, AC posts. Okay. Um, there's also quite a sizable solar array. Uh, with the carports, so the solar actually sits on top of the carports, uh, and it, there's that 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 canopy as well as that solar covers 60 parking spaces. So at the public side, we have about a 37 kilowatt um, uh, generation, and on the fleet side, we have 131 kilowatt generations obviously that the fleet canopy with its solar array is, is larger than the public so overall yeah. we've got 168 uh, kilowatts of uh, generation uh, we quite, also it's quite big <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, quite, it's quite sizable yeah which yeah. is which is great and then we have uh, energy storage so we've got two 360 uh, kilowatt lithium-ion second life electric vehicle batteries storage solutions so quite sizable uh, storage there. Um, you know, obviously, just to capture that renewably generated energy transferred through into the uh, energy storage device, uh, and then we utilize uh, the energy, the on-site energy generation, and we deliver that through uh, the charging stations. Okay. Um, so, the, 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 so for me, the, the exciting... Um, point there on the storage is the second life battery. So actually we're giving batteries a second life. And just from a sta- sustainability perspective, it's it's really impressive um, product uh, provided by one of our partners called Connected Energy. Okay. Can, can you, do you know what cars though? Because they're presumably from electric cars. Uh, do you know what will make? Number of different batteries. Okay. 
So not just single one. And it's not like a Nissan Leaf or or Brenner Zoe. It's just mixture. Specific batteries that they that they use there. Okay. Um, and then we have the rain water harvesting. Um, uh, and the rain water harvesting is is quite an exciting um, sort of addition to the hub. So it's effectively uh, a system that collects the runoff of rain uh, on the canopies. Um, and it's basically that, that rain that it collects sent through a filtration system. And then on either side of the hub, there's a, there's a dispensing unit. So electric vehicle drivers can come onto the site. Um, they can drink that water because it's, it's fresh. It's gone through a purification process. Um, or they can utilize that water to clean their windscreens. Okay. That's, 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 that's pretty cool, actually. Um, I've never heard of anybody doing that. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so if you look at all of those technologies there, the, the, heart, the rain uh, sort of water harvesting system, uh, the energy storage, second life batteries, uh, the solar on top of the carport, all that infrastructure, you know, for us, it's a, it's a really strong, sustainable message. Um, so that's why we're very uh, proud. We're proud about deploying. We're proud to be deploying the site, but we're also very excited about its uh, sustainability impact. I mean, it, it, it sounds like a quite quite a big site. Uh, it's it, whereabouts is it? Because I'm not familiar with like with the uh, geography of Dundee. Is it uh, central or is it on the uh, sort of outskirts of, of of Dundee? Pretty pretty central part of of Dundee. It's actually at one of the main one of the local authorities' main depots. So that okay. would be central Dundee in the city. Okay. Okay. Um, and obviously, I'm sure this was Dundee's you know council initiative. Um, the question that everybody's going to be asking is like, why aren't other councils doing this? And how do I encourage my local council to even look at this sort of thing and excite, you know, make them ex be excited about such a thing? Because, um, uh, you know, Dundee is one of those places that I often hear as a, you know, as a sort of a, 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 the leader in, 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 uh, in these sort of things, like a, a tech, clean tech. Um, do you know of any other councils who might be interested in this or uh, or working on this? You know, um, one, one of, I'm, I'm asking because one of the questions that I that I wanted to ask the uh, 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 Dundee Council people is the um, there's this you know climate scorecard that um, I think it's a website with uh, with, with that and Dundee is actually not the first uh, um, or not number one on uh, on the list, um, but they're quite high up, right? Um, and I, I, I sell them here from other councils that are higher up than them about these sort of initiatives. I'm just kind of, you know, just asking, you know, th I think this is the sort of the question that anybody hearing this would ask, you know, off the top of the head. Because uh, we're, we're here to kind of, you know, sing praises to Dundee, but at the same time, you know, people live other, uh, in other places as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I think probably there's the, going back, so the, the history with Dundee is that in, in 2011, uh, they really started to engage with the market. So that was early on. I mean, in 2011, there were only a 1,000 electric cars on our roads, and I think they were the, the G-Wiz, the old G-Wiz model. And then eventually the Nissan Leaf came out and the, the Renault Zoe, et cetera, but, you know. Yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm EFs and all that in between as well. Of course, yeah. I think Dundee City Council were one of the first owners of a, a Army EF. 
Uh, they had uh, had a few in their fleet. So they they really pioneered this from the early days. And, and a lot of local authorities, a lot of just people around us were saying that the future is not electric vehicles. So those were the days where we as a business and as a team had to be very patient and believe that there was a future in this. So, but Dundee was, you know, one of the local authorities who, from those early stages, recognized that actually they, they, you know, if they could really sort of be that pioneer and start to adopt electric cars and make that sort of active transition um, to a net zero fleet, um, you know, that would be great from the local authority, from a, you know, sustainability perspective, you know, carbon footprint perspective. So, they implemented a team, and the team obviously consisting of Fraser, still today in that team, and, and Gary McRae, uh, who were tasked to go out and really see how they could make that transition. It was a big, bold decision at the time because, you know, obviously with, there's not many electric car options available at all. Um, and... So they did it, and they went out and they they started to to purchase electric cars and associated infrastructure. And I think um, it was almost as if they sort of caught the bug, and then it went on to the next vehicle, and then the next expansion of their fleet was electric cars. And I, I'm not entirely sure of the total electric car uh, fleet today, but it's it's going to be well over fifty percent, I would have thought. Uh, and they're racing rapidly towards a zero emission fleet. But over the years, in those early days, you really had, they had buy-in from the senior decision makers within the council to really sort of support this with investment. And they've deployed a, a really impressive public charging network uh, in the city. Really impressive, you know, for a, a relatively small city they have some of the largest and most impressive EV charging hubs. Um, and I suppose the positive impact on that is that the uptake of EVs in Dundee is increasing quite significantly. Mm. A lot of the private taxi owners have made decisions to electrify their respective fleets. A lot of private businesses uh, have also uh, made transition over to an electric fleet. So. You know, it's had a really positive impact on on uptake. So, uh, and really, yeah, that's in terms of sort of comparing why I've and the bulk of other local authorities done this. I think it's Dundee, in the really early stages, believed that this there was a future for for the, for the electric car, uh, and they 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 invested into making sure that they were able to achieve that by getting that team in place. And really getting the strategy defined and being involved and being responsible for deploying a number of different EV charging projects and schemes across the city. So yeah. it doesn't mean Dundee are the only one that have really kind of done great things today. There are a lot of local authorities in, in, across the UK who have actually put in some, you know, some really impressive infrastructure. But I still think if you look at kind of, uh, you know, the size of Dundee, they probably put a lot more infrastructure sort of per capita uh, versus other uh, sort of cities and towns out there. Um, there's lots of discussions happening behind the scenes with 
a lot of local authorities are having discussions uh, on their EV expansion plans. Um, so some of those are, are, are very, very exciting. Some are just a kind of doubling up at the sites where there is infrastructure. You know, some of them are a lot more than that. So hubs, hubs with solar and, and storage. And so I do believe that we will start to see uh, the positive impact on those sort of um, strategies by those various different local authorities emerge um, over the next, say, six to 12 months. We'll see more infrastructure deployed by other local authorities because of because of those sort of realignment on strategy discussions that they are having with regards to EV infrastructure. So, yeah, credit to Dundee, though, you know, and if we look at when we decided to bid for the charge Place Scotland network, um, you know, Dundee, and just in terms of the commitment, we wanted to set up a business that was fully committed to so, so set up a business in the area that was fully committed to the electrification of all modes of transport. Uh, and Dundee for us just came out on, on, on top when we had originally bid for the um, for the Charge Place Scotland network back in 2020. Um, so today we, we've set up our, our, our business at the Michelin Scotland Innovation Park, okay. uh, which effectively is a, a Michelin manufacturing facility. And they decided to, um, to close down the manufacturing facility. So unfortunately, 850 staff lost their job as a result. So to mitigate the economic impact there, uh, Dundee City Council um, invested 20 million into that park. We had transport, uh, the, the, the Scottish government invest 20 million into that park, but we also had Michelin invest a further 20 million into that park. So 60 million to really transform that manufacturing facility into a sort of low carbon technology park. So it's quite okay. impressive. So for us, that was a natural home to sort of you know plug the plug the gap. You know, we've got 45 staff employed in that facility today. In the next 12 months, it's going to go to 100. So if we get to that level, we can proudly say that we've we've plugged the gap of about 13 and a half percent of those who lost their jobs um, due to the closing of the plant itself. But really, yeah. Um, um, full credit to to the Dundee team in terms of really driving, um, you know, the, the 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 uptake of electric vehicles and and other vehicles, uh, not only just pedestrian vehicles, well, uh, um, domestic vehicles, shall I say, um, but uh, buses and 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 other modes of of transport, you know, being electrified, and that being a, a key strategy for the Dundee City Council. But like I say, there are lots of other local authorities. Uh, that have done some really exciting things with regards, with regards to charging infrastructure provision. Uh, and there's a lot that are refining their own respective strategies and more infrastructure will be deployed uh, over the coming months and years. Yeah, but it, it seems like it has to come down from the council because I know in my local area, for instance, just as a, you know, I think they're leaving it up to private investors to do things. There isn't like a strong leadership from the council itself. They're like they're if they're basically like if somebody comes and wants to invest 
we'll be open to it. Otherwise, we're not going to do anything about it, or not much anyway. Um, uh, and, you know, um, it's frustrating when I hear from local residents that they would love to have a car, electric car, sorry, um, but they live in a terraced house. They don't have a, you know, drive, um, and they're unable to charge the car. I mean, things have changed in Tunbridge now, um, luckily. Uh, but uh, is, is, is there any... Uh, I mean, I know things are run slightly differently in Scotland, but uh, in Dundee specifically, how do they deal with it? Because, yeah, I presume they get the AC charging points from you guys as well, right? Uh, the domestic chargers. In terms of on-street residential, I mean, the local authority have done a few, there's been sort of small-scale on-street residential schemes applied by the local authority just to kind of test, uh, test the solution. Um, so they have a, a pop-up bollard solution provided by a different company which effectively, you know, comes sort of out of the ground and, and, and it's a pole effectively that, that you, you plug in and, and use to charge. Um, but the local authority will be looking at this um, on-street residential scheme and we will start to see Dundee as well as lots of other local authorities across Scotland, England and Wales start to deploy on-street residential charging infrastructure. You mentioned the, the, the batteries on that site in Dundee. Do you think that's going to happen more and more now on the um, on sites uh, that people are going to be, or, uh, you know, charging point operators or landowners are going to deploy batteries, uh, whether to, you know, harvest the solar energy or whatever, or whether it's just to, um, like GridServe, do bid on the, um, on the grid itself and, you know, make money that way as an alternative? Yes, I believe that uh, energy storage will play a part. Uh, it'll play a key role in supporting with the expansion of um, the EV infrastructure on a lot of the sites. Because we're at that pl place now where we, you know, we're deploying anywhere up to 20 base. And obviously there's a DNO supply that comes in. And, and of course, those are different costs, you know, some reasonable going all the way up to extreme. But actually, from a power availability perspective, if you've maxed out in that particular area and you absolutely need to be expanding the infrastructure, then we have to be turning towards energy storage solutions. Um, even before that point, you know, we see some of the sites where there's a, a kind of you know, 10 bay, uh, 10 bay deployment, 200 kilowatts per bay, and the, the DNO cost is over a million pounds. It's well, quite significant. Yeah. It's way beyond the, the kind of the banding that a CPO would invest into for that level of infrastructure. So even for those applications, I do see energy storage and on-site renewable generation playing its part to support with making sure that infrastructure is actually deployed on that site. It's a good quality site, that is. So, yes, I, I'm, I'm one that is positive about uh, these other supporting technologies uh, like on-site renewable generation, or like energy storage. Um, because if we really want to go to sort of the um, mass adoption of electric vehicles, uh, we're going to need to deploy a lot more infrastructure. Significant yeah. amount of more infrastructure will be required to be deployed. So other supporting technologies, um, like storage, like uh, on-site generation, will absolutely play their part. The support with those expansion plans. How feel? I fully support that. Like <laughs> to me, it's a it's a, it should be a no brainer to when you have over ten 
uh, chargers or even uh, over five to have to have a battery storage on site to kind of help smooth out the uh, the peaks and troughs, right? Uh, and have a solar canopy. Like it's just it's mad to me that uh, I think Fastnet was like the one of the first companies in Europe to to do that, and it was madness to me that I haven't seen this before. Uh, you know, ac- across the UK. Um, and, yeah, and uh, that goes back to my point there, Greg. Is that because what we're seeing is that perhaps some of the the, the, the DNO costs are are reasonable at this stage because it's relatively small deployment because we're not at mass adoption. So it's relatively small deployment of infrastructure today, but it's enough for today's market. Um, so if the DNO cost is reasonable and in line with the CPO's modeling, then the business case when, for an energy storage solution to be deployed there, that will be a challenge because actually the storage solutions come at a cost. They're not yeah. sort of low cost, cheap solutions. They, they, so, so if you weigh up the kind of the DNO costing, if it's reasonable for a certain application, which is in most cases today, because we're not deploying very, very big numbers, deploying, you know, sort of reasonably lowish numbers from a from an infrastructure perspective then actually you don't need storage but when you really start to get to sort of significant dno costs great start really want to get infrastructure deployed here um if we were to pull power from the dno at a much sort of reduced sort of requirement in terms of kva um, and ultimately, we could use uh, on some on-site generation and then energy storage to, to to support infrastructure being deployed there. Then, in that case, it needs to be considered. But what's really important is that the business case makes sense for investing into these technologies as well. Overall, it sounds like the the future looks bright, and uh, we're not going to have. I mean, we 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 are. Um matching the, uh, the the number of cars on the road when it comes to infrastructure, or at least you know there is there is a hope that uh, people will start complaining, stop complaining, sorry, about the uh, uh, there not being enough infra- infrastructure, because I'm, I'm sure you, you'll agree that, you know, there is plenty of infrastructure, it's just the, uh, whenever there's a peak, there's always complaints, but that's just, uh, that's just the way the life is, isn't it? No, probably just to close off, I think, you know, leaving it on a positive is that, I think, rest assured, the CPOs and various different local authorities um, are fully committed to expanding their respective networks. So we will see a considerable amount of infrastructure deployed over the, over the years, months and years to come. And I think if you're considering, considering to purchase an electric car, you don't understand that and you think that actually all the infrastructure we've got out in the field today is it. It's certainly not the case. Okay, so there is going to be a lot more infrastructure deployed over the months and years to come, which should give those that are possibly on the fence of whether to to go sort of into the electric vehicle or or or, or sort of remain in the fossil with fossil fuel driven vehicle. You know the, the 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 reassuring message certainly from my side as a leader of a charging infrastructure business is that there is a lot more infrastructure that is planned to be deployed. I, yeah, I, and there's plenty already out there. You know, it's just sometimes hard to find, but I'm sure that's going to change. Thank you, Justin. Well, 
that's it for the episode 44. If you've lasted this long, you're awesome. Don't forget to hug each other more. Fight for the cost you believe and high fives and all that. And I completely didn't steal that from somebody else, but I just love it. And by the way, if you've listened this far and you want to be awesome to me, just, you know, just say high five to me when you see me next. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll get you. <laughs> I'll understand you've been listening for, uh, for the entirety of the episode. As always, uh, check all the blue doobs underneath the episode, release notes, and, you know, if you want to, uh, for some reason, share something with me, just takeedv at gmail.com or takeedv at, I think it's mastodon.social um, on the socials. Anyway, thank you, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye.